0: Hey, thanks for everybody uh, watching online. Wherever you're watching from, you're at the right place, and we're glad that you're joining our eFam. You know, I didn't know that my kids knew this song until recently. Uh, Nelly asked, she said, Dad, play the I.I. song. And I'm thinking I. It's like I.I. Captain. Is there like some <laughs> sailing song that they're learning that I don't know about? And Brecken. Brecken is the oldest, and she has those leadership skills that oftentimes the oldest <laughs> needs to Organize and administrate around the family. She's a dad. She's talking about fast cars. She's like, I, I. I was like, oh, okay. You heard that one before? There's some powerful lines in that song, and one of them is actually a haunting question. That haunting question goes like this. It says, You still got to make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. Still got to make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. There was a time in Scripture where Jesus actually proposed the same question to somebody. We find it in John chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. I want to go there together. And it says this, John 5, 5, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? See, Jesus poses the question, To this person, he says, you still got to make a decision. (laughs) Do you want to get well? Do you want to leave tonight? Do you want to leave this behind? Or do you want to live and die this way? Is there something in your life that you need to leave behind? Because the reality is if you decide not to take action and you don't leave it behind, you will live and die this way. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these minutes and moments that we share. Lord, we ask that you will turn our ears towards you to, to hear what you have for us, that you will turn our hearts towards you. Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. Lord, please receive and get glory in this place. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. There's a story in the Bible, uh, in the book of Exodus, it's a story about God freeing the Israelites who have lived in slavery for 400 years. And the, the Israelites had been enslaved in the country of Egypt under Pharaoh for 400 years. And so people had born and lived and died in slavery. And the next generation is born and they live and they die in slavery. And the next generation they're born and, and they live and they die in slavery. And the scripture tells us that God determined it was time to set his people free. And so God moves in the direction of his, his people And so he sent Moses and his brother Aaron to go and free the people. And God is powerful enough. God could have freed the people in one powerful moment. But God doesn't. He frees his people through a process of 10 plagues. And the reason God uses a process of 10 plagues was so that he could receive more glory, which is really why humans are created, to give glory to God. And he does this process of 10 plagues. Now, this is what you got to know about the Egyptians. The Egyptians were polytheistic. They had many gods and goddesses. Like most civilizations in ancient times, they had a lot of different gods and goddesses that they served. The Israelites, however, were monotheistic. They believed in one only, the one true God. And God is going to use these different plagues to tear down the gods and goddesses and to show the whole world that there is only one true God. And that's what he does through the process of these plagues. The first plague was blood, and I want to look at the second plague, and the second plague is frogs. Now, I don't know how you feel about frogs, but if I told you we had some dream team volunteers strategically place some frogs out in the building, so during this message, just keep alert, look down at your row, watch out, there may be some frogs, you would probably be a little bit jumpy. (laughs) Now, this is what uh, you need to know about the Egyptians. The Egyptians had a goddess named Heket, and Heket was uh, the body of a woman with the face of a frog, and Heket was the goddess of fertility and prosperity. And so, the Egyptians viewed a frog as a good luck charm. I want to go to the story in Exodus chapter 8. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 8. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh. And announced to him, This is what the Lord says let my people go so that they can worship me. Now, the people don't even know it, but God is working behind the scenes to bring about their redemption and their deliverance and their freedom. And this is exactly true for people alive today. We don't even always see it. There are people that don't even realize it, but God is working behind the scenes to bring about their redemption and their deliverance and their freedom. Right? There are people that we are praying for in Baldwin City that they don't even realize it, but we're bringing a church to Baldwin City. They don't see it yet, but God is working behind the scenes to bring redemption, deliverance, and freedom to their family. Verse two, if you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. Now, you gotta remember, they thought this was a good luck charm. So Pharaoh says, look, I'm not scared of frogs. All right? If I see a frog, that's gonna mean a is with me. And this is good. It means I'm gonna have some more babies. It means the crops are gonna grow and they're gonna be strong. And so this is not a problem. Go ahead and bring the frogs. Verse three Moses says, The Nile River will swarm with frogs. And Pharaoh says, Well, no, duh. That's where frogs live, they live in the water. They will come up out of the river and into your palace. And again, it's like, I, I don't care. Bring them into your bedroom and into your bed. That just means we're going to have more babies. Pharaoh is not scared about the frogs because the frogs were a good luck charm. They will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. Now at this point, it's like, you're messing with my food? I think the people that were listening to this would be like, all right, hey, Pharaoh, come on. Not in the food. Like, let's, let's negotiate here. We don't, we don't want the frogs in our food. Frogs will jump on you your people, and all your officials. And Pharaoh is hard-hearted. And and Pharaoh tells Moses, look, we're not afraid of frogs. We love the frogs. Bring on the frogs. Who let the frogs out? (laughs) I told Lauren on Monday, I'm going to say who let the frogs out in this message. (laughs) And she's like, please don't. I was like, too late. It's coming. Verse 5, then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise the staff in your hand, over all the rivers and canals and ponds of Egypt and bring up frogs all over the land. So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt and frogs came up and covered the whole land. Skip down to verse eight. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and he begged. Now, I want you to notice that, uh, that he, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. Pharaoh does not beg. That would be unbecoming. That would be unfathomable for Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, who was a God in the eyes of the people, little g God, to beg and plead, but Pharaoh is that desperate. And so he begs and he pleads and says, Moses, take away the frogs from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Just, Just get rid of the frogs. Verse nine, you set the time, Moses replied. You set the time. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile. Now, I got a quick question for you. If you were severely hurt, let's say you broke your leg and you get rushed to the hospital and you go to the emergency room and you finally get admitted and you're you're in the emergency room and the doctor finally gets to you and you've just been in agony, writhing in pain. When the doctor says, when do you want the pain to be gone? If the doctor said, you set the time, tell me when you want the pain and the suffering to be gone, what would you say? Be like, now, I need the relief now. Which is why it's so funny to me what Pharaoh's response to Moses is. Moses says, you set the time, and in verse 10, Pharaoh says this, do it tomorrow. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Moses must have looked at Aaron and said, did he just say tomorrow? (laughs) Now, you would all admit if the frogs are causing such significant anguish that they are begging and pleading for them to be gone, and Pharaoh says do it tomorrow, that there is an issue in Pharaoh's life. We would say, that's a, that's a problem, that's an issue, this guy has some issues. But the truth is that some of us today, we can have our own issues. And some of us today, we can have a problem that we need to deal with, and, well, have you ever known anyone that has had a problem that they need to deal with, but they'll say, well, I'm going to deal with that tomorrow. Well, I realize something needs to be done about it, but I'm going I'm to get to it tomorrow. This illustrates a stronghold. A stronghold, I know that's kind of a churchy sounding word. A stronghold, it's, it's an issue. It's a problem. We're going to talk about strongholds this morning. This is a working definition of a stronghold, so we're all on the same page. A stronghold is this. A stronghold is a place in our lives where we have gradually surrendered ground to the enemy to the point where we feel trapped and we feel helpless And it becomes part of our identity, a stronghold. People today that have been going to church for a long time can have a stronghold in their life. People that are new to Jesus and excited about their faith and and serving Jesus with all of their heart, they can can have a stronghold. And people that have never set foot in a church, well, we know that they can definitely have a stronghold too. I want to talk about four different examples of strongholds this morning and the first one is this, it's addiction. And a lot of people that are addicted, they say, I'm gonna deal with it tomorrow. And the truth is nobody sets out to become addicted. Sometimes we, an addiction starts as a pathway that's an escape. And the song Fast Car, it's kind of about an escape, isn't it? Let's look at some of those lyrics. The, the lyrics say, you got a fast car, I want a ticket to anywhere. Any place is better. See, they, you want an escape from something. And oftentimes, you don't set out to have an addiction, build an addiction in your life. You just, you just have an escape that you are reaching for. And the reason you reach for it is because it helps you cope. It soothes you. It makes you feel better. So we reach for, well, you fill in the blank. We reach for alcohol, or we, we, we reach for porn, or we, we reach for pills, or we, we reach for our, our phone, or we reach for just something that's going to be an escape for us. What are you reaching for? Is it food? Is it video games? Is it shopping? We reach for something, and it, it can, can become an addiction and a stronghold in our lives. Now, when I was at K-State, I was excited about a football game that was coming KU was coming to town, and I was going to the KU K-State football game. This is when I was a student at K-State. And so Friday night, this is going to be a lively weekend. So Friday night, uh, me and a lot of other guys, we're celebrating. Uh, when we're, we're, you know, we're, we're having a good time on this uh, weekend in the fall, uh, looking forward to the big KU K-State football game uh, the next day. And I had too much to drink. And Saturday morning, I wake up, and I'm hungover, and I'm, I'm vomiting. I'm puking. And I'm at home laying in bed with my rock chalk shirt right next to my bed as KU defeats K-State in Manhattan. And I miss the game. And I quit drinking for a couple months. You fast forward 10 years later, I'm married, got a couple kids, and I go out to the lake July 4th, 2018. And I do what a lot of people do with the lake on July 4th. Start drinking, enjoy the evening, enjoy the fireworks, ride home. July 5th, I wake up and I'm puking. I'm hungover. I can't get out of bed. And Lauren is fed up. And she tells our oldest, Brecken, yeah, dad is sick because he drank too much. And Breckin told my mom, yeah, dad is sick because he drank too much. <laughs> And that was enough pain, that was my pain threshold, that that was the last time I ever got drunk. Because I made the decision, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I asked the spirit of the living God, because I can't do this on my own, I asked the spirit of the living God to help me find freedom in this area of alcohol where I had a problem, where I had a stronghold. And God has brought freedom into my life. I'm speaking about something that I know a little bit about. Now I'm not telling this to boast at all. I'm telling this to tell you the story of the redemptive work of Christ that he does in our lives. I have no pride of what I did. I'm ashamed of what I've done. The only reason I tell you is that God picked me up out of the mud, out of the muck and the mire and set me on a solid rock and brought love and purpose and hope into my life. And he wants to do the same thing for you. First Corinthians chapter six says it like this. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. We know what that high price was, his son Jesus on the cross. So you must honor God with your body. Now I know you could be thinking, I'm so glad I'm not like you. I do not have that problem with alcohol. And that's a good thing if you don't. But the standard isn't being better than I was. The standard is, is what you're doing honoring God. That's the measuring stick. And whether it's your body or maybe it's, maybe it's your mind, are you honoring God with your body? But, but Paul would also say, are you honoring God with your mind? Because sometimes the escape can be right here, and we can be so sucked into this, and our mind can be somewhere else in the world, and we, we're not honoring God with our mind and our presence because we're ignoring the, the people closest to us. Addiction can be a stronghold. Stronghold number two could be anger or bitterness, anger or bitterness. Ephesians chapter 4 says it like this, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold similar to a stronghold to the devil. Skip down to verse 31, Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. You know what slander is? It's talking about someone behind their back. If someone's in the room, you Maybe you just don't need to talk about them. Get rid of that slander as well as all types of evil behavior. When it comes to anger and bitterness, this is how you know if you have anger or bitterness in your heart. If you hear that something bad happens to a person and there's some joy that bubbles up in you, that's kind of messed up. That's one way to tell if you have anger and bitterness. If someone else's pain and misery brings you joy. The truth is that God says, if you are my disciples, you will be marked, you will be known by your love. It is impossible to love people the way God has called us and asked us to love people if we have bitterness in our heart, because that bitterness and that anger will prevent you, will hold you back from loving people, sacrificially, selflessly, the way that God wants you to love people. And I know what your pushback is. You're like, okay, that's easy for you to say, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how much pain and agony and suffering they caused me. And you're right, I don't and it was bad, and it was horrible, but the truth is your bitterness does not hurt them at all. It just hurts you, and the power of the living God is strong enough. God's will is that you would find healing in that area. That is what God wants to work in your life. Here's another way to tell if you have anger or bitterness on the inside. The smallest thing set you off. Do you ever fly off the handle, and then someone tells you a little bit later on, like, you might have overreacted there, Your reaction was not proportionate to the event. Instead of responding, it's one thing to respond, it's another to react. And you didn't respond, you just just reacted based off of emotion. It's a sign that there may be some anger or bitterness in your heart. Stronghold number three is negative patterns. Negative patterns. Have you ever known someone that had the gift of criticism, like that Eeyore was their spirit animal? They love to tear down, they love to nitpick, and they love to criticize. The truth is, the reason that some people nitpick is because their mom always nitpicked them, and that pattern was passed on. The truth is, the reason that some people fly off the handle and they have an anger, a problem with their temper is because their dad had a temper, and they picked up that pattern from their dad. We are, to some extent, the product of the environments that we were raised in. I want to show you a couple lyrics from the song, Fast Car. See, my old man's got a problem, and he's going to, this generational problem's going to cause generational consequences. He lives with a bottle. That's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like this. Mama went off and left him. She wanted more from life than he could give. I said, somebody's got to take care of him. So I quit school, and that's what I did. And people sometimes they slip into this victimhood, and they just say, "It just runs in the family. That's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been, and the way it's always going to be." That's an example of a stronghold of a negative pattern. You know, I am a a mentor um, for inmates, and so I I went up. I was up at the Lansing Correctional Facility this past week, and what I do is I uh, get matched up in a mentor relationship with an inmate who's about to be released. Uh, and we put together a plan for that, how they can be successful once they step out of prison. Uh, because, uh, it's the, the reentry process for so many people is extremely difficult. And, uh, and, and you may know this, but oftentimes, uh, within the first two years, the statistics say about 77% go back right into the system. So this mentoring program is desperately needed. And I was meeting with this young man who's about to be released in December, and he was talking about uh, his son. He said, I, "I feel like I should write my son a letter." Now he has never met his son. He's like, "I feel like I should write my son a letter." And I said, "Well, why don't you?" And he said, "Well, I." And he kind of gave him some excuses, and one of the excuses that he gave is "I never had a dad." And you know, um, in the years that I've been going up and mentoring guys and doing Bible studies, I, I don't know everyone's story. But every uh, every person on the inside that I've talked to and, and I've heard their story, there has never been a biological dad in the picture. They did not grow up knowing their biological dad. You see this negative pattern? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about generational sin, generational consequences? In Exodus chapter 20, it says this. It says, I, the Lord your God... I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. In other words, do you see what God is saying here? God is saying that my love lasts a thousand times longer than my wrath. He is a God that is rich in love, slow to get angry, but his love and faithfulness is new every morning. Ezekiel talks about this the same concept. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 2, it says, What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? There's a a saying that the the Jews, God's people always said, and the saying went like this: It said, The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now I, I know it's a little bit of a word picture, but what this proverb said, it's a colloquialism that people would say, and it said, I am the way that I am because of my dad. I got it from my dad, I got it from my mom. It's just the way that it is. This is the pattern that runs in our family and it's the way that it's, it's always gonna be. Now, verse three, this is what the word of the Lord says to his people. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. God says, I wanna do something new in your life. There may have been a negative pattern. You may have learned negative habits. There may be some generational consequences. But God says, I don't want you to fall into victimhood. I don't want you to use that excuse. I don't want you to fall into a stronghold of negative thinking. I want to do something new. I want to do something different. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone puts their trust in Jesus, they are a new creation, a new creation. The old is gone. And so while there may be some negative patterns, you know what they can also be? You can stop that negative pattern. You can start a new positive pattern you can start a new legacy of righteousness. You can start a new legacy of faithfulness. You can start a new legacy of purpose. That's what God wants to do. That's the redemptive work that God does in our lives. Stronghold number four, this is the last one. This one is, well, this one you find in the church, and this one is legalism. Legalism is when you make up rules that other people got to follow. The truth is, outside these walls, in Wellsville and Franklin County, in Baldwin and Douglas County, there are not just hundreds, but there are thousands of people that will live and will die, and if they don't begin a relationship with Jesus, they will spend eternity apart from him in hell when they die. Now, a legalist would look at family church, and they would be more upset that we are singing a non-Christian song in church than they are about the thousands of people that will spend eternity apart from God if they are not reached with the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Satan's greatest creation was not the Pharisee, or it was not the prostitute, but the Pharisee. See, the thing about the prostitute, the thing about the sinner, is that they can, in their brokenness and their desperation, they might cry out to God and receive forgiveness and mercy in their moment. But the Pharisee, not only does the Pharisee try to keep people from God by stiff-arming people, the Pharisee will never come to a true knowledge of God because their pride and arrogance stands in the way. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a story. He said two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer, "I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. You know, the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector." I fast twice a week, week, and I give you a tenth of my income. I follow all of the rules. But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. God always answers that prayer. The prayer of a broken spirit, the prayer of a broken heart, God, please have mercy on me. God always moves in the direction and draws near to that heart, to that person. Last verse, I tell you this, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, legalism, when it takes root in our heart, it causes us to care about the wrong things. We become deceived and we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes onto man-made traditions and man-made rules and man-made customs. And we think that these things give us a, a false sense of righteousness, but really these things just keep us from knowing the heart of God and keep others from experiencing God as well. Pastor Charles Stanley pastored First Baptist Atlanta for 49 years. You can imagine a pastor in the Deep South for almost 50 years. He probably experienced some legalism in the church in his lifetime. In fact, he did many times, and he talked about some of those times where people tried to remove him and kick him out of the church because of their legalistic beliefs and viewpoints. This is what Charles Stanley said about legalism. He said, legalism always leads to the same dead end, a lack of joy, a critical spirit, and an inability to be transparent. A legalist is going to focus on the sins of someone else and they're going to cover up and not be transparent about some of their own hidden sin. Four strongholds. As we prepare to close, I want to tell you three lies the enemy tells us to keep strongholds in our life. The, the enemy is the father of lies and he tries to bring deceit into us uh, to, to keep us in these strongholds. These are the three lies the enemy tells us to keep strongholds. Number one, he says, keep it a secret. Don't don't tell anyone. If you tell people the truth, they will not like you. They will not accept you. Especially don't tell church people. They got rocks ready to throw. That's what religion does. Here's the bad news: you will not be able to keep a keep it a secret forever. You can't carry a secret forever. And trying to carry a secret forever just becomes heavier and heavier and weighs you down and burdens you down in a way that God never meant you for you to live. The consequences of concealment are far greater than the consequences of confession. See, when we confess, we actually experience mercy and healing. When we conceal, we experience heaviness and a further burden. The enemy wants to keep you shackled in Silence. And if he does, then he's got you where he wants you because you will carry that and you will not step into God's purpose for your life. So lie number one, he says, keep it a secret. Lie number two, he says, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Okay, so you're doing some things, but you know there's a lot other worse people out there. Okay, so you know, you're drinking a bottle of wine every night. You know, your sister in law is drinking two bottles of wine, so it's not that bad. And he wants us to minimize our actions and find a way to think. You know, and isn't it funny how even if we have to go to like Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson, like we can justify, well, at least I'm not doing what Charles Manson did, so it can't be that bad. The enemy wants us to to minimize our, our actions. And he also said, you know, you can stop anytime you want. Which, if that's true, why haven't you stopped yet? Line number three, it's too late. Line number one: Keep it a secret. Line number two: It's not a big deal. Minimize it. Line number three: It's too late. Yeah, other people can, but you know, you know how long you've been struggling with this. You know how long that's been running in your family. It's just too late for you. You're too far gone. It's been too long. You're just gonna have to carry that, and that's the way it's always gonna be. Period. It's too, it's too late for you. Doesn't matter if it's been 20 years, 30 years. There, there, there's no hope. How long have the Israelites been slaves in Egypt? 400 years. If God can intervene and bring freedom after 400 years, I think he can intervene and bring freedom after 40 years. These lies that the enemy tells us. But what about the truth of God's word? What does the truth of God's word have to say about strongholds? We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. Now notice, the power does not come from ourselves. It is not our own willpower. We cannot drum up within ourselves enough willpower, enough self-control to demolish a stronghold. But we have divine power from the spirit of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the alpha and the omega. We have divine power through him to demolish the stronghold and to step into his purpose for our life. How to break a stronghold Three ways as we close how to break a stronghold. Number one, we ask Jesus for help. We ask Jesus for help. There is power in the name of Jesus. If you are ever in a situation and you feel like you need to pray, but you're not sure what to pray, just pray the name of Jesus. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. It is the name that is above every other name. His name is a strong tower. It is a fortress. It is a refuge, and ever-present help in times of need. You can pray the name of Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do you break a stronghold? You gotta ask Jesus for help. Call on the name of Jesus. Tell Jesus you need help. You want help in this area. Number two, you ask others for help. And that verse, it says, the weapons we fight with. He didn't, Paul didn't say the weapons you fight with. He said it's we. In other words, Paul's saying like, this demolishing stronghold, it's a group project. I don't want you to have to go at it alone. I want you to have people, brothers and sisters, right next to you that are going to, they're going to battle with you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to support you. They're going to be there with you, encouraging you. The truth is this. There are people in this room that have fought some battles. And the battle that you're facing, I know it's tough, I know it feels helpless at times. There are people in this room, in this church, that have fought that same battle, and now they walk in victory. It might have been a year ago. It might have been 10 years ago. I don't know when. But what we need to do is we need to ask for help. That's why it's so important to be in a group. And maybe you're not going to click with every person in that group, but maybe there's one or two people in that group that you, that you connect with, and you get coffee with, and you can be real with James 5:16 says, "We confess to God for forgiveness, but if we need healing, we confess to one another when we pray for one another, and then the promise of God's word is that we will be healed. Step number three: how to break a stronghold. We remember that Jesus' strength is greater than the enemy's stronghold in our lives. The enemy will have you thinking, there's no way out. This is it. I'm stuck. I'm never going to get out. There's no way forward. But Jesus, his name is higher, his name is greater. He is stronger than anything or anyone that has a stronghold in our life. Luke chapter 11, there's two verses. Then These verses are actually kind of confusing. Even if you grew up in church, you maybe have read these verses and you're like, I'm not exactly sure what Luke is talking about. Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, it says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Now in verse 22, I want to point something out to you. That someone stronger, that's Jesus. Now at first we're like, wait a second. It says Jesus is going to Divide and plunder. We don't think of it as Jesus because it's talking about plundering, but it's saying there can be something strong in your there can be a stronghold in your life that has a grip. But when someone stronger comes, it's no match. It's no match. Jesus is the strong. He's not going to plunder and take your joy. He's not going to take. He's going to take your suffering. He's going to take your anxiety. He's going to take your worry. He's going to take your addiction. He's going to take your bitterness. That's what he's going to plunder, and he's going to bring his love, his joy, his peace. It's kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is the picture that, that Jesus tells us. It doesn't matter how strong you feel the chains are. It doesn't matter how, how heavy it feels when a stronger person comes and there's no stronger person than Jesus. So it brings us back to, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because you still got to make a decision. You can leave tonight or live and die this way. What do you need to leave behind? What are you going to do with Jesus? See, the truth is, there is more evidence for Jesus, the person that walked on planet earth about 2,000 years ago. There's more physical evidence for him than there is for Abraham Lincoln. No one has ever impacted or shaped our world more than Jesus and his teachings. And sometimes people think, well, yeah, I know that Jesus was a real person and and he had some good ideas, but you cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus. Jesus. You have to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? Everybody has to make the decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? You know, the reality is, if if any person spends eternity separated from God in hell, they had to step over a blood-stained cross to get there. Because we all have to make this decision, what are we going to do with Jesus? Jesus said it like this in that very next verse. In Luke chapter 11, verse 23, that very next verse, Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is saying, look, you can't be neutral. You're gonna have to decide. And this decision, it's it's the best decision you could ever make. And I know some of you, you're ready to make that decision. You are. You've been thinking about it. You've been pondering. And I wanna encourage you, it is the right decision for you. If you want to walk in peace and be rid of that anxiety and worry, it's the best decision for you. If you want to set that burden down and not carry around that heaviness, it's the best decision for you. If you want to walk in freedom and and be rid of some of these strongholds that maybe have ran in your family for years, it's the best decision for you. But you still got to make a decision. Leave these things behind or live and die this way. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us and your love. Lord, I pray for the person under the sound of my voice who needs to make a decision for you. Lord, we know the truth of of your word. We know that when we put our trust in you, when we call on the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to do things your way. Please forgive me. Please have your way in my life. When we declare that you are Lord, Lord, that you save us, that you rescue us. That we begin a relationship with you when you give us purpose, divine purpose, a life full of meaning, a life walking in freedom. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to make that decision today because it is the best decision for you to put your trust in Jesus, to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved and you can begin walking in freedom. And Lord, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that is caught in a stronghold and it feels heavy and they're tired of the lies and they're tired of the excuses and they just want to walk in freedom. Lord, I pray that they will be prompted, that they will be spurred, that they will call on your name, and they will call on your power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you, Lord, will show them. Show them the person in their life that they can text. Show them the person that they can reach out to that will pray for them, that will encourage them. And Lord, we declare that in your mighty name, you will break chains, you will bring healing, you will bring freedom, you will demolish strongholds, and that you will let us step into new life and new freedom and new purpose in your name, Jesus. Everybody said... Amen.